to be here with you guys today. So uh, this morning, I walked in, walked in the room this morning, parked down below, came in the back door, walked in, and right about halfway down the aisle right here, I had this really sad moment. I actually saw on the, underneath a row of chairs, someone had taken this note sheet last night, maybe with the full intention of paying attention, taking notes, being totally tuned in, but somehow it was left completely blank, unused. This could be a cautionary tale for you. Maybe you walked in today with the full intention of learning and growing and leaning in. If you have, raise your hand right now. But like the sad recipient of this empty, the blanks cry out to me, my friends. The blanks cry out in their emptiness. Don't become a victim of that same thing. So today we are, that was for humorous purposes. Uh, So today we are continuing our study of, I'll say it, you cheer a little, heaven. Heaven is our topic today we're talking about. And uh, I got a table now, fantastic. Um, And we are studying heaven for a couple of specific reasons. But you may have that question. You may have question number one. Pastor Tom, does your voice sound a little bit raspy? Yes, it does. Go Bucks. However, however. We are also, we are also studying heaven today, and your question might be, why, why, why would we take the time to, to, with everything happening, our world is chaotic and things are going on all around us, why, why take time to study something which feels perhaps for you distant and kind of far away? Why study heaven? A couple of reasons. Number one, I'm going to show you a verse in the Bible, and this is a really, in my mind, in my opinion, a very appealing idea given in this verse. The verse is about Jesus. It's right here, Hebrews 2.15, and it says this, Jesus freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, I mentioned this two weeks ago in our sermon on heaven is that, is that people uh, have a fear of death, that there is something of a, a universal fear of what it's going to be like. And after talking about that two weeks ago, I've actually recently just been asking people. I've asked people I know really well and people I don't know very well. And I asked one complete stranger in a conversation that I have with them. I asked them this question. I, I began by saying, are you, can I ask you a question? I prepared them properly. It's kind of a strange question. Would you say, just being honest, that you're, that you're somewhat afraid of death? And then eventually, I kind of reshaped the question to ask it like this. Would you say, just being honest, that you're a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of death? And almost everyone I ask that question to, people I'm close to or not so close to, or the one stranger I talk to, almost all of them said, to be honest, yes. To be honest, yes, I, I am afraid of the idea that my life is going to end and I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of what it means that, that this life would end and, and whatever would happen to come next. And so we're talking about heaven because I very much have a dream for you. I have a dream for you that not only would you not be afraid of death, that you would become very comfortable, very, very comfortable with the idea Just like a high school student looks forward to graduation, that you would look forward, not not rushing it, not hurrying yourself to that moment, but look forward to it as your earthly graduation to heaven. They look at it and understand how important it might be. 
Now, I thought what I might do is give you an example of someone who seems to live their life in such a way that they're not afraid of death. And I found an example of just such a person. Here he is right here. His name is uh, Nick Walinda. Nick Walinda is actually, if you look him up online, don't do it right now, but if you look him up online, Nick Walinda is, he's described as an American acrobat. That's his title. And actually what he does is he is a, a fourth generation tightrope walker. He literally walks on a, on a wire uh, uh, high up in the air and balances himself. And he actually, a couple years ago, he walked across Niagara Falls, but he had a dream, an absolute dream. He said a lifelong dream to put a cable across, I'll say it, you gasp, the Grand Canyon. Oh, you're good graspers. Nice. I think I said grasp when I meant gasp. Uh, you're good gaspers, my friends. So he did it. They put a cable across the Grand Canyon. He had no harness. He had no net. If he fell off the tiny cable, which you're about to see, he would die. His wife was there. His kids were there. His parents were there. And just so you know, number one, his grandpa died falling off a high wire. That's how his grandpa died. He's a sister who was ser seriously injured falling off of a tightrope as well. But you know what? He did it. He extended that, 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 that wire across the Grand Canyon, and he actually, no harness, no net, he began walking across. Look at it. Some of you are getting nauseous right now just looking at it. Hold on. Here comes the view. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yes, I know you're loving that view that I'm giving you right there. But here's someone that would basically say, you know what? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of what it might mean. And, and I'm showing you that video as an example of how, how you can accomplish daring things when you're not afraid of death. But actually, what I didn't anticipate when I, when I found this illustration was what he's actually saying. Because this, this uh, tightrope walk across the Grand Canyon was watched by 13 million people online. But he had a microphone. A microphone where you could hear what he was saying. His dad was there too. You could hear his dad's voice, but you could hear what he's doing. And Nick Wallenda is a man of deep faith in Christ. I want you to hear what it is he's saying as he's walking on the tightrope. Lord, help this cable to calm down. Command it in your name, Jesus, with the authority of God. Praise you. Praise you, Jesus. How are you feeling, Nick? Good. A lot of wind. We can just stay on that view for a while. No, just kidding, right? The fear of death stops us. We need to lose the fear of death. We need to become comfortable with the understanding that our lives will end. Now, do I think you should start walking on high wires emphatically? No, I do not think that you should. But I want you to be comfortable with the idea that your life is going to end and even perhaps look forward to what it might be like when this earthly life is done. Why study heaven? Number two, in the Psalms, actually, twice this idea surfaces. And, and the first one is, is this idea from Moses. Psalm 90, Moses says to God, God, teach us, all of us, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's what he means. When I know my days are limited, I can be wise in the way I choose to live. Or David, David says it even better. David says it like this. David says, show me, Lord, my life's end. Show me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. I believe no matter how old you are right now, hearing my voice online or in the house, it is good for you to recognize and remember your life is fleeting. The days you have on earth are numbered. 
Whether it's by Christ returning or by your physical death, the days you have here are numbered. You know, 2004, think back to that moment, just for a second. 2004, my my dad invited me to go with him on a mission trip to the Philippine Islands, a place uh, we had lived. He was a missionary there. I was a child there. And my dad had gone back many times on mission trips and the church was taking a team. And my dad asked me to go with him before the church mission team to have a little mission trip, just he and I. And I went with my dad and we flew together. We had adventures and excitement and all kinds of things happened. But I had no idea how many days I had left with my dad. I didn't know that in that moment that my dad was four years away from being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and eight years away from his death. He was young and strong and, and I couldn't imagine how fleeting those days were. I want you to understand it. To understand heaven helps you to live out the potential of every day that you have here. Why study heaven? Here's the first fill in. And don't leave this blanks blank. Don't leave the blanks blank. Here we go. Why study heaven? To allow the temporary nature of life to focus us on God's priorities. You know, I said this last night. Last night I was preaching, a Saturday night, you know, the service begins at six o'clock and I was preaching at about, about 6.35 or so and I said this. I said, tonight, Ohio State will play Notre Dame. And it may feel to you tonight like that, that's a really, really big thing. But you know what? Whatever happens, it will be fleeting and temporary. Now I will tell you, in the room right now, we do have some Notre Dame fans and listen, you are welcome here and we, and we, and we love you. We do, we love you. We also have some Ohio State fans in the house as well. You're also welcome here, certainly. But you know whatever happened last night? It's temporary. It's fleeting. And now we're going to focus our attention on heaven. Let me, let me say a few things about, about heaven just to give more explanation, more understanding for you. So when, we think about, when you think about heaven, you should think about, immediately think about, biblically think about heaven. You think about two different places. There is what you might call right now, what you might call the immediate heaven. That would be if you died in Christ right now, you would go to heaven. Amen, right? But that's not the, the eternal resting place for all of us for all time. That, that temporary heaven, or it's also called the intermediate heaven, is a heaven that we're only in for a brief time until Christ returns and all in time events end. And then God will do something fresh and amazing and awesome and create what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. Two weeks ago, I focused on the, that temporary uh, intermediate heaven, but today we're focusing on that, that eternal resting place for every one of us who are in Christ to be forever. Let me tell you about a resource that I'm using today for this sermon. If you're interested in this topic and you want to go deeper, I recommend uh, this book uh, for you. This is the book I'm talking about. It's called The Real Heaven by Chip Ingram. The book's right here. And actually, I did get to spend some time with Chip last year talking talking about uh, this book a bit, talking about his ministry and life and about heaven. And he was very gracious to me to give me some advice and some thoughts about things. But that's really a, a, a new place for you to go to learn more if you'd like to about this topic. Now, of course... The number one place that you would go to learn about heaven is the Bible. That's number one. And we're focusing specifically today on Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 as well. So let me give you a brief outline of what we see in those two very important chapters in the Bible, which are almost exclusively dedicated to talking about the new heaven and the new earth. So Revelation 21, it begins like this. There are eight verses right in the beginning very specifically describing how God will make all things new. I'll say all things, you say new. Here, here we go. All things, 
All things new, eight verses on that. And, and, and then we see eventually a description of the new Jerusalem, the new heavenly city of Jerusalem that God will provide for his people. And it's beautiful and breathtaking. Revelation chapter 22 uh, begins again with about five verses, letting us know that the new heaven, the new earth, they come together as one place, no longer heaven and earth, but together heaven and earth. And it is a recreation of many things we saw in the Garden of Eden. There's a river just like the Garden of Eden, the tree of life just like the Garden of Eden. But, But now the throne of God is literally there amongst his people. And in the end of chapter 22, this is a grand conclusion of the book of Revelation. So let's jump in right away. Let's jump in right away and see what it says. Revelation 21, verse one, it says this. Uh, this is, by the way, this is written by, by John. This is the apostle John that, that wrote the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He's been exiled to a little island called Patmos, Patmos Island, and he's exiled there and he's writing in what we believe to be 95 AD, much after, long after Christ died and rose again and lots of ministries happened and he's there 95 AD. And he has a revelation, a vision from God it's called a revelation. The book's called Revelation for that reason. And here's, here's exactly what it says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then verse five remind us of this. God is making all things new in the new heaven and the new earth. And one of them that we see right away in verse two is a new Jerusalem. Here's what it says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to ask yourself this question. When I say the word Jerusalem, what comes to mind for you? It's possible that for you and for me as well, that other cities might have more of an emotional connection with us. For example, if I said to you, Washington, D.C., you might have an emotional connection. Or if I said to you, Columbus, Ohio, you might have an emotional connection more than with Jerusalem. But just understand this. The, the, The readers of this revelation, those who read it for the first time, they were deeply emotionally and spiritually connected with the city of Jerusalem. And 26 years earlier, then when John wrote this, the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans. In fact, the city was, the the, the walls were still there. There was some infrastructure still there, but basically the city was destroyed, almost completely destroyed by the Romans. And so when when they saw in this revelation, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, they were rejoicing at the beauty and magnificent thing that God was going to do in the future. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. I was there last year, and, and we're going again next May with a, a group from our church going to, to Israel. And when I went to Jerusalem, I walked in, and I'll show you what, what I saw as I, as, as I walked in there. Here's actually the view right when you walk in the city of Jerusalem, just like that. It, it's narrow streets or ancient narrow streets in a, in a narrow place, and that's, that's what current Jerusalem looks like. But the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, prepared by God for his people, that new Jerusalem is very different than the current Jerusalem. In fact, if you took the biblical description of the new Jerusalem and put it right here in America, which I'm not suggesting that would happen, I'm suggesting just for spatial understanding, it would look like this. That's how big this city is. It is 1,500 miles on four separate sides, and it goes up and up and up. It's huge. Literally billions of people could live inside this city. It is massive. If you put it over the existing side of Jerusalem, it would be that big. It's a massive heavenly city coming down from heaven that God is using. Let's go to Revelation 21 and look at verse three. It says this. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place 
is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne says, I am making everything. Why don't you guys say new when we get there? Here we go again. I am making everything, everything new is our understanding. So the remainder of this sermon, I'm gonna tell you five things, five things that are made new in the new heaven and the new earth so you can understand what it's gonna be like and you can become comfortable and even excited about going to heaven and what you might find there. Here's number one. It's on your, it's on your note sheet on the Spring Hills app. You can fill in these blanks. Here we go. Number one, all things are made new. What are five specific things? Here's number one. We will have, all those in Christ will have a new intimacy with God. There's a new, a new closeness with God. We just saw in that verse, God is dwelling among his people. Here's an example. This morning I got up about, about 5.15 or so this morning I got up and I was tired. I was up late last night and, and I was tired, but I knew I, I have a prayer time with God, an appointment with God from six to seven in the morning. And I, I got up and I drank some coffee and then guess what? I drank some more coffee and then I opened my prayer journal and I'll be honest with you, full transparency, I was struggling. I was struggling to connect with God. My tiredness and, and some memories of the night before, glorious victory, were coming to mind. And, and I was having a hard time, you know, really focusing in. It took me about a half an hour of my hour prayer time to finally get to that place. I was listening to worship music and, and just got there. It was a struggle. Now, now, you know this and I know this. Sometimes, sometimes we find communion with God and, and God's presence not difficult to find. It feels like God's right there. But sometimes on earth, it is difficult and hard for us to connect with God. But listen, not in heaven, not there. When you're there, you will be so intimately close to God. It'll be as if he's right there with you. He's dwelling with people. Now listen to this description of what it's like. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. You know, there's something here I want to point out. It's interesting in this verse. If you look at it, in the beginning of the verse, you are crying. In the end of the verse, there's no more crying. In the beginning of the verse, you're, you're crying and God himself, this is so, so intimate. God himself is wiping every tear from your eye. Several years ago, I uh, was here at work, summertime, doing my thing and I didn't know it. But in my neighborhood at home, my, my youngest daughter, Ella, she was riding her bike and she had a, a pretty bad bike accident. She scraped up her entire leg. Her leg was bleeding. She was crying. And one of the neighbor boys actually took off his shirt and wrapped it around her leg like he was a little doctor. And he was a neighborhood hero, you know, for a while uh, thereafter. And she was upset. My daughter, she's crying. She's in pain. She's upset. And then she calmed down and, you know, watched some shows or whatever kids do. And finally, eventually, you know, her dad came home from work. And as you might know, dads and daughters are pretty close. We've got a pretty close relationship. And when she saw me, she immediately started crying again. And she crawled up in my lap and my arms are around her. And she's telling me all the horrible details of how the bike was wobbling and, and it fell over and how scared she was. And she's crying. And I took my hand and I took my thumb and I wiped a tear right, right off her eye. I said, honey, you're going to be okay. I know it was scary. I know it was terrible. I know it hurt you so badly, but you're going to be okay. And she said, okay, okay, dad, okay. 
No, God, that's what God will be doing to you in the new heaven and the new earth. He's wiping every tear from your eyes. There's no crying. There's no mourning. There's no pain. There's no, none of those issues that define our lives now or make us who we are. In fact, here's what the Bible says, and you really need to understand this. The Bible says this. It is a fundamentally new order of life, of understanding, of reality. A fundamentally new order. Here's here's how the Bible says it. For the old order of things has passed away. It is brand new, absolutely a new era of human history of those who know Christ and are there in heaven. Now, for example, right now in in this order of things, we have an issue and, and Paul calls it our sin nature. Here's what he says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. How many of you here, just raise your hand, or if you're watching online, you can raise your hand at home. Who would be honest enough to say that you do honestly at times desire things that you know are wrong in your life? You, you, you honestly do. You, des- you know it's wrong. You still desire it. That's your sin nature. But get this, when you're in heaven there, that sin nature, I'll say it, you say amen, that sin nature is gone. You, you will not have a, t- there'll be no temptation whatsoever. You won't feel the pull of sin. You won't feel temptation creeping up in your life. It just won't exist. It's a brand new order of things. And that means this as well. And I really, really want you to understand this. Heaven is not this. Heaven is not the thing you love most on earth, but then in a heavenly way. For example, if you love chocolate cake, if that's your favorite thing, don't say this. Don't say, I can't wait to get to heaven, to have heavenly chocolate cake. It's going to be amazing. Now, there might be chocolate cake there, but heaven is not our best things here projected there and even better. C.S. Lewis says it like this. C.S. Lewis says it like this. It is quite useless knocking at the door of heaven for earthly comfort. It's not the sort of comfort that they supply there. It's not, it's not earth only better. It's not earth times two. It's a new order. You'll have new priorities. You'll have a new way of understanding life, a whole new level of reality of how you see things. I've got two examples to hopefully help you see what I'm talking about. Now, if you're in church today, if you're here uh, at Spring Hills and, and you leave the parking lot and you turn right and you go, and you go that direction, you will come by this sign as you go by, the, the Glenna Aramwood. And behind this sign and a bit to the left, there's actually a monument that maybe you've never seen. It's tucked away under a tree. There's a little monument and that's it right there. It's hard to read. You can't quite see it. That monument was erected in 1936, but the monument says this. It says in 1801, on this spot in 1801, the first cabin was constructed in Granville, Ohio. That's the spot. And the second part of it says, and in 1802, the first baby was born in Granville, in that cabin. So if you want to, later on today, you can walk out there and you can kind of stand in that spot and and revel in the history of this is the exact place where the very first cabin was ever built by settlers who came here. I said settlers, I don't know why I said that. Uh, Pioneers, settlers that came here uh, and built that first cabin. Now I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that God just transported you back in time and you found yourself today looking eye to eye with the man and woman that built that cabin. And you begin talking to them and and you're like, hey, I'm from the future. I'm from the year 2023. And their minds are blown. Like, what are you doing here? And they ask you this question. I say, okay, okay. All right, time traveler. Tell us about 2023. What would you say? You'd be like, well, 
We have this thing called Venmo, so you don't have to take cash with you. We have the internet. We, we, have, the, we have computers in our hands. What's a computer? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have phones. What's a phone? We have electricity. What's electricity, right? You'd have no way at all of conveying to them what life today is like, even though you're standing in the same spot where that cabin was built recently in 1801. That's what it's like, a new order. We are in a new order from what it was like in 1801. No running water in that cabin. No electric power in that cabin. No cars, right? No no phones. None of the things we live with today at all. That's what it's like when you think about heaven. It's a completely new understanding. If somebody came back from the new heaven, new earth, and you're like, what's it like? They'd be like, I can't tell you. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't, you wouldn't even believe it if I told you it's a new order of things. Or, or second, second example, second example. Last year, this is going to shock you. Last year, I turned 50. I know, shock, shock. Turned 50 last year. Now imagine, just for a second, imagine this. Imagine my, my beautiful wife, Tracy, called my mom and she said, she said, Kathy, I want to plan the best birthday meal possible for my husband, your son. Tell me, historically, over his lifetime, what is his favorite birthday meal? And my mom would say, oh, I know it. I know his favorite birthday meal. He asked for it year after year. And let's say she gave my wife the famous recipe. And my wife spent time preparing the meal. And then it's time for my big 50th birthday dinner. And my wife said, okay, honey, here it is. Surprise, I have your favorite meal. Your mom told me, surprise, here it is. (laughs) That actually was my favorite meal at eight years old. And then at nine and 10, all three, I requested for my birthday, I want a hot dog with ketchup and mustard. But at 50, I'd be like, what? You, uh, filet mignon, honey, what are we, what are you, where's my five-star chef? I didn't turn five, I turned 50, right? A new order, I'm in a new order than where I was at eight or nine years old. You just can't understand it. You can't, we can't think of what it's gonna be like there. It's a new order, fundamentally, new priorities, new understandings of life. Number three, five things that are made new in the new heaven, new earth. And number three is this, really important one, new people to enjoy, new people. Now, I believe uh, you should understand something about the people that are gonna be there in heaven. Here's what you understand. Nothing, this is New Jerusalem, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Think think of this, every person who has ever lived, who's accepted Christ, who knows him, whose name's written in the Lamb's book of life, we're talking about millions of people, a, a multitude too big to count. They're all there and they've lived from various times in history. Now, I believe there are five types of people that you'll meet in heaven. I want you to understand all five of them. And number one is very simply this, easy to understand this first type of people. It's people who are alive right now that you know, but you're just not as close to them as you'd like to be. Here's my example. This is, uh, this is Seth and Emily Britt right there. Give them a hand if you don't mind. They're our, our guest worship leaders for today, uh, along with Molly Shaw. And, and Seth and Emily, you know, I'll be honest, I love them. I'm proud to say I am Seth and Emily's friend. I'm their pastor. I'm their friend. But you know what? I don't get enough time with them. They're even in my community group. And I don't get enough time to spend with them. To, to, we have conversations we've never had about, we're like, we've got to talk about that one day. Okay, one day, Pastor Tom. But you know what? In the new heaven, new earth, we can talk for hours and hours about all those things I would love to talk about even right now. 
Another type, number two of the five types is people who have lived in the past that you know about. Maybe you want to have a conversation with David about the day he defeated Goliath and what was that like and how'd you feel and why'd you pick five stones and have that conversation. He's there. Historical people in Christ, people like Napoleon, Dwight Eisenhower, all kinds of people, Mother Teresa, you can sit with, talk to, have conversations with about life and what they did and how they lived. Third type of people, and you know this, you already know this. The third of five is people that you love that have already passed on. This is my dad. This is the last Christmas before my dad passed away. And yes, he is wearing a Santa hat that says Ohio State. Yes, he is in this picture. You know, I can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait to talk to him. I can't, I can't wait to hear. I can't wait to let him, you know, introduce me to people in heaven like, and this is Moses. Ha ha, he talks a lot, you know, whatever. Um, you know, that, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for my dad to just be reunited and discuss things and talk about things and hear his voice again. I know it's the same for you. People that we loved and lost are there. How about number four? Four or f- five types? Number four is, is very simply this. People that you, listen, people that you have impacted with your life, that you might see them in heaven and they might come to you and they don't cry in heaven, but they're a little teary and they say to you, you know what? Just remember, I'm here because of you. You, grandma, you, grandma took me to church and so I'm here because of you. Or or last night, last night, just a, a great woman goes to church here, invited two friends to church last night. They sat near the front, her and her two friends, and both of her friends accepted Christ at the end of that service. Give God a hand for that, right? They, they may very well say, they may very well say to her in heaven, thank you, you invited us to church. We went, we were there, we heard the message, and we, were, and we know, Christ, we're here because of you. Who would say, raise your hand, you'd love to meet someone in heaven who says to you, thank you, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of your prayers, your influence, what you did, how you lived. And maybe I'm obviously playing it up to they're there because of you, but also many people there might just say, you impacted me, the way you lived, the way you talked, the example you set, I'm here in part because of the example you set for me. Or can you imagine this? Can you imagine meeting a person who's there because someone is there because of you. They're not there because of you. They're because you led someone else to Christ and they led that person to Christ. That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. Those people there in church. And then last of all, last of all, the fifth type of person that's there uh, is uh, what I would call new, new people. There are people there that you've never met from eons and, and centuries of this world and you've never met them. And you'll meet them and grow to love them and and understand who they are. New people to enjoy. Okay, number four. Five things that are new in the new heaven, new earth. The next two are gonna blow your mind a little, so strap in. Number, Number four is this. New earth, a new earth and new nations. Listen to this verse. This is Revelation 21, 24. The nations, okay, blowing your mind a little bit. We've got a new earth. Heaven and earth have merged together. We've got the city of Jerusalem, but an entire planet around the city of Jerusalem where there are new nations, distinct, different nations. The nations will walk by the light of the city of Jerusalem and the kings, whoa, these nations have leaders. They have kings and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Now the word splendor, fascinating Greek word. The Greek word here is the word time, 
And it actually could, could mean one of two things. Teammate can be, can be you honoring someone with your words or just what you say to them, how you treat them can be teammate honoring them, or it can be a gift of honor that you give to someone else. You give them a gift to say, I honor you. Here's the gift I have for you. So the kings of the earth come to Jerusalem, to God's throne, to honor God and bring him a gift of honor from their kingdoms and from their nations. There's new earth and there's new nations. And there's two theories about this. Theory number one says that, that, that the new heaven, new earth is actually this earth resurrected. Like Jesus was resurrected. The earth is, is made new, is resurrected. But, but you can go to places that you've already known. That in the new, new earth, you could go to Paris or go to London or, or go to your current home and be like, wow, this is where I lived. It's all made new. The other theory, and I, I lean more this way, is that it's not this planet. It is a brand new earth recreated by God to be just like the Garden of Eden, a brand new place. Imagine that. What if, what if the new earth is a place that you go to unexplored by people, a place you can go and, and learn about and understand and love and develop and see it become what God wants it to be? There are nations and a new earth. And number five, last one, last one. This is really important you understand this. New earth important roles and responsibilities. Write that down. New important roles and responsibilities. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important that you understand in heaven, you'll have a role and a responsibility? Well, first I'll show you what it is. Here's a role right here, by the way, kings of the earth. That's a role. Someone there, someone here, maybe in this room, will be the king of a nation in the new earth. Beyond that role, all of us, will have a role. What kind of role? Let's look at this first. Revelation 22, 5. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light or of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. Look at the last line. I'm going to stop and you guys say the word, okay? And they will, one more time. And they will, they'll reign forever and ever. What's that word mean, reign? It means to lead, to command, to have authority we, all of us, all those in Christ will have a measure of authority and leadership in heaven. Now, now why is that important to know that? That we have a role, a responsibility? Here's why. The, the, the myth out there, the, the, the thought from, from atheists and unbelievers about heaven is like, you don't want to go to heaven. Heaven is boring. The myth is this, you're going to float around on a cloud and have nothing to do. And it eventually will be immensely boring to be in heaven. In fact, here's a quote. It's an awful quote. They gasped at nine when I said this quote. There's a quote out there. It's, it's attributed to several different atheists, but the quote goes like this. I would much rather endure the torment of hell than the boredom of heaven. That's the quote. Yeah, thank you for, you know, reacting to that. But that, that quote is completely, fundamentally untrue. Heaven will not be boring because you're not floating on a cloud. You have a role and a responsibility. You're reigning. You, you have a responsibility to lead and to rule over something. Now, the question is what? Now, some say this. Some say humans will, will rule over, over angels. And here's why they say it. Paul's talking in 1 Corinthians 6 about, about this idea that Christians shouldn't take each other to court. They should find someone, another Christian, to judge their disputes. And here's how he says it. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Did you hear that? The Lord's people will judge the world. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Verse 3. Or do you not know that we will judge angels? Did you know that? At some point in the millennium or the new heaven, new earth, we humans 
are judging angels. And so that leads some to say we're ruling in the new heaven, new earth over a, a, a group of angelic beings. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm saying some believe that. Now, others believe, a more conventional belief is we are reigning over other believers. They believe that, in fact, that the, the, what you do in this life affects what role you have in that life. In fact, that's what, what Chip Ingram says in his book on heaven. He says this, our role in heaven will be determined by how we live on this earth. God gave each of us a certain amount of time, talent, and treasure. Our role there is determined by how we use what we're given here for God's glory. What he's saying is your role in the new heaven and new earth is determined by how you live right now. How you live right now determines the role you have there. So you should think carefully, how am I using my time? How am I using my talents? How am I using my treasure to glorify God. Now, not everyone believes that. That's not a, a universal belief. Some, some believe heaven is, it's, it's like egalitarian. We're all on the same level and no one's above anybody else. And, and that, that's an it, belief also exists. But I want, you, I want you to think about it. I want you to think carefully about these things for yourself. In fact, I'm gonna end today on this one verse. I'm gonna end on one idea. Let me quickly review. We're studying heaven so that we can become comfortable with the idea that our lives will end and we'll graduate and we'll move on. We're studying, we're studying heaven because we want to understand our life is fleeting and see how important it is how we live right now. The, the new heaven, new earth is a new intimacy with God. The new heaven, new earth contains uh, just a, a new order of things. The new heaven, new earth contains new people to enjoy, new nations and new roles and responsibilities for us. But I want to end on this. This is the apostle Paul again and the Apostle Paul is talking to, 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 to those in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, and he says this, and this is for all of us to pay attention to. Here's what Paul says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Here's what he's saying. After hearing about heaven, and the reality of heaven, I think you should evaluate right now, am I in Christ? Do I know that when I die and your death is coming, I will go to be with God in heaven? Am I rock solid sure about that? If you are, if you're, if you're rock solid, totally sure about it, I think you should focus on the beginning of this verse. Test yourself. How are you living right now? Are you living with eternal priorities or are you letting temporary things steal all your focus? Are you frustrated by things that are really meaningless? Are you anxious about things that really don't matter at all? Are you living for eternal priorities? It tests yourself. How are you living right now for God's kingdom? Will there be people in heaven thanking you that they're there because of you? Now, on the other side of that coin is people here right now who honestly would say, and I'd like you to be honest, honestly would say that, that you're not. You, you would say, honestly, I, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt, I am not in Christ. I know it, I'm not in Christ. Or I'm confused and maybe I'm not, maybe I am. If that's you today, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And the prayer I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna invite you. If you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm ready to obey you with my life, pray this prayer with me and accept Christ today. All weekend long, listen, all weekend long at every service, I'll say it, you can cheer for it. We've had baptisms all weekend long, right? We're actually planning, we're planning 10 baptisms this weekend in three services. We had baptisms last night. We had just beautiful baptisms at nine o'clock today and we have one coming in just a minute here. 
If you accept Christ today, your next step is to step in the water and be baptized. And when you're baptized, you're, you're saying this. You're literally saying, as you go, as you, as you see today, the, t- the two, two people being baptized, as you see them go down in the water, they are saying this. I am done with living for myself. I'm going into my grave, just like Jesus died and went into a grave. I'm going into my grave. When they come up out of the water, which is immediate, by the way, come up out of the water, they're saying, I have risen with Christ. As Christ rose, I have risen. If you accept Christ right now, you're gonna have that same beautiful experience of baptism. Just bow your heads, if you would, all around the room. Praise team, come on back. I'm gonna pray a prayer, just a simple prayer. And if you wanna accept Christ today, pray these words. But you have, to, you have to be sincere about them and ready to turn and obey Jesus with your life. It goes like this, just pray this out loud, quietly. Father God, I thank you for today. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've committed sins. But I ask you to forgive me. And Jesus Christ, I know you died for me and rose again. Come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I am yours. In your name I pray. Hey, heads heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer, you meant it, just raise your hand right now. Just raise it up. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're raising your hand right now, I just want you to do this when the service ends. Go back to our next step area right in the back of the room. Tell them, I pray with Pastor Tom. They'll get your information and we're gonna contact you about how you begin to grow and about your baptism and when that's gonna happen. You can all look at me if if you'd like to. If you're being baptized today, come on back right now. Come on back right now for being baptized. Otherwise, just stand. I'm gonna sing one last song today. This song is called The Hymn of Heaven. It's beautiful and you're gonna love it. Here it is. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is calm and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity
join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain